Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, this is Terry Wickstrom, and we've got a full show for you today. I have an emergency uh, backup in studio with me. Brad Peterson joined me. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. When I called you yesterday, this cold I have, I didn't know if I'd even be able to get in here, much less if I'll make it through the two hours. But you're a seasoned veteran, so you'll bail me out. I, I, I'm here in case in case you need me. We're going to talk about a lot of things. And, you know, you're, you're into a lot of different things in the outdoors, so we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. I think you're involved in almost all of them. We're going to talk about the boat show. And and then we're going to talk obviously some ice fishing and some open water fishing. Yeah, it's I tell you what, right now this time of year, if you want to get out, take a look. You know, we just finished the Sportsman's Expo. Great opportunity for people to get out locally. The boat show's going on right now. If you kind of got that itch with this warm weather and you're seeing some of these ponds open up, go take a look at that. And then as far as activities, you know, we've got turkey hunting getting ready to happen, waterfowl hunting on the tail end, and pheasant hunting. Open water fishing, surprisingly, this time of year, and ice fishing. Well, Whatever you like to do, there's there's something out there for you. Well, speaking of the boat show, ice fishing, and everything else you like to do, let's go to the phones. And our great friend, Bernie Keefe, is joining us. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might make it, but hey, um, you know, when I introduced you, first of all, let's tell people you are down at the boat show today. I, I am down here at the Denver Boat Show. I'm with Colorado Boat Center hanging out by the Crestliner Boats. Yeah, and you're kind of enjoying my dis- my discomfort here a little bit. I, I get that. <laughs> uh, well, no, no. It was the way you introed me and, yeah. and anything else you like to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you know, introing you like that was dangerous, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It, well, I, I had to laugh, otherwise I had to shut my mouth. Yeah, I, I, I understand completely. Um, first thing, Bernie, I want to talk to you about, you know, the ice fishing has been so spotty down here on the Front Range. I, I, I was just telling Brad, I was in Denver during the week this week, and on the way home I drove by Lawn Hagler, which is a small to medium lake, and I thought, well, maybe it developed enough ice where it held up, and then the cold nights built some ice. So I was going to see if it would be worth me, because it's just a few miles from my house, running over to ice fish it. Uh, all I'm going to say is there was a boat on the lake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about that up in our neighborhood. We don't We don't have anything boatable really right now. Granby has, I don't know, 10 inches of ice. Williams Fork has 8 to 10. Grand Lake has 10 or more. Um, Shadow Mountain's all froze up. There's open water in Shadow Mountain where there always is because of the currents. But um, And in Grand Lake, the same thing. Willow Creek has 10, 12 inches of ice. And the incredible thing about it is there's not a lot of snow on the ice. There's just enough so it's not slippery. But um, there's hardly any slush on the lake. You can walk out there. You can get around really well. I'm seeing ATVs everywhere, snowmobiles everywhere. The lakes are in real good shape right now. That's what I was going to ask you because, you know, you get out on Granby, and if you know what you're doing. Now, you can fish any of the lakes you mentioned without an ATV or a snowmobile. But, boy, if you want to go and hunt some fish, it really comes in handy on lakes that size. Let's go through them, Bernie. What are you seeing up there for fishing? Well, let's start down at Wolford. Wolford, there's a really good salmon bite going on right now in Rainbows, and the Rainbows are in the shallows. You can, if, you, if you were looking for meat, you could easily get limits of both. 
then come up to Williams Fork. The fishing's really good there for lake trout. And there's some big rainbows being caught. There were a couple of um, rainbows over 20 inches caught the other day. Uh, a couple of pike are being caught here and there. How are they catching the pike? Are they using tip-ups or are they jigging with spoons? Or what are they typically? The, guy, the guys I know, they're jigging plastics. Oh, big plastics? They're, they're, they're jigging real large plastics, and they're sight fishing for them. Okay. Yeah, because um, a pike, there's some beautiful pike in there, and they're not as easy to catch as people think. On that lake, they're extremely difficult. I don't know what's up with that lake, but I haven't found anybody who is real consistent out there yet. Okay. But they are getting a few here and there. So take us through. We went through. Uh... Okay, then coming up to Willow Creek. Willow Creek's fishing really good for rainbows around the shoreline. There's a few kokanee being caught out there. Kokanee in there are naturally reproducing, so there's not a lot. But once you get into them, you can get a limit of them. And then coming up to Granby, the lake trout fishing is real good. Um, that's just off the charts good right now. And then rainbows are along the shoreline. There's not many kokanee left in Granby anymore. And up in Shadow, uh, you know, we don't fish Shadow a lot. We went out there about a week or two weeks ago, and we caught a bunch of little browns and a couple of rainbows. So there's a bunch of browns in Shadow that are willing to eat. And then going into Grand Lake, you got decent lake trout fishing, good rainbow fishing. Um, and the thing about Grand Lake that's so nice is if you're a walker but don't want to walk very far, there's great fishing within a quarter mile of anywhere you can park. So... It's a real easy access lake and a pretty easy lake to fish. Remember, remember that time we were filming up there, and we were—I wanted a shot of the outside of the boat, and we put Karen on the dock, and I was just going to pretend I was fishing there, and I caught a lake trout right off the dock by town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're everywhere there. I mean, and uh, they are. Let's get back to Granby. You said the fishing's good. Is it more numbers than big fish, or what? What are you seeing? Well, if you're looking for the big fish, you're going to have to work for it. It's not easy. Um, go, you, you're going to get, look for, oh, geez, we've been getting four to six bites from big fish a day if you're just constantly, if you're just pressuring those. But if you're looking for numbers, um, the numbers bite is really good. And uh, it seems like two out of three trips, we'll go out to try to catch numbers and we'll get, say, 20 to 50 fish, and three of those will be large. So, you're pulling on a whole bunch of fish all day. Then you get to pull on a large one. So it's kind of what, what do you want to do? What do you want to target? And then go look in them areas and hope a big one comes by or hope you at least catch a bunch of fish. Now, are you using different tactics when you're hunting the big fish than when you're going for numbers? Oh, yeah. What kind of presentations are you using? Uh, when I'm going for large fish, I'm total run and gun, lots of ice trolling, moving around, moving around like a madman. Um, I'm looking for that one dumb fish in a school uh, or one aggressive fish, I guess you could call it. And then when I'm looking for numbers, we generally set up the tent and relax and um, at, at let the schools come through us, and then we do what we do with them. Different depths, different presentations? It's not really different depths so much, but it's different locations. And it's really weird because you'll look on the map and you'll get big fish on this hump, but only little fish on this one. So I can't really figure out some of this stuff. I just know that there's little fish over there, big fish over there. And the presentations are completely different. Um, you know, with the bigger fish, I'm using larger jigs, heavier jigs, and fishing them real aggressive. With the little fish, we're a little more passive, a lot of bobber fishing, um, just stuff and, and smaller jigs and a lot of bait.
You know, somebody asked me the other day, if you're targeting those lake trout, they asked me, especially with a tube jig, how heavy of a jig head to use. And I'll tell you what my answer was, then you can correct me. I um, When I'm fishing for lake trout right below the hole, I don't need a super light presentation because I can suspend the bait by holding the line. So and I tend to be fishing deeper than I would for rainbows or something. So I go fairly heavy. What do you do? Well, we'll do anywhere from three-eighths of an ounce up to an ounce. And it depends on, a lot of it depends if I want that jig to fall real fast and not be seen. Um, or if I want a small, if I want to be jigging and I want they tube jig to walk a figure eight in the water on the bottom. And so if I want that jig to walk a bigger figure eight, I'm going to go with the lighter jig. And that way it'll, it'll, it'll drift off more as you jig it. Now, when you so said, there's, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, there's just there's just a whole bunch of things you look at, and you just try to try to get something going for the day that can be consistent for you. Well, and one of the reasons, you know, I'm glad you brought that up about not get it seen because sometimes you want to get down to the bottom quickly because there's a a class of fish or what you think is down there, and you want to get past some of those small ones. But sometimes you want it to spiral down and take its time and. And and you've, those lake trout will just chase right up sometimes. So there's you know there is no absolute, is there? Oh, it's crazy. There's not. I mean, there is in all these years I've been doing this. The only thing I know is you can't figure them out. Yeah. I have a joke I tell on the ice that I can't tell on your radio show. You'll never allow me to do it again. <laughs> but uh, but um, it's so true. You just can't figure them out some days. Well, I I you know I always used to say when I did a lot of seminars in the past that. The fish never attended. They had no idea what they were, how they were supposed to act. Yeah, now, one of my things, I one of the things I like to say is, you know, them fish are not as smart as me. I know where they're supposed to be, and I know what they're supposed to eat. They just don't know. They don't understand this stuff. <laughs> That's exactly right, there, Bernie. <laughs> so, Bernie, um, before I let you go, Crestliner got any new interesting boat people should be looking at? Oh, they got. They got my favorite boat down there, the 1950 Fish Hawk. It's a big, wide boat, long boat, lots of storage. It's a great fishing platform. They have a Super Hawk down there, um, which is a great all-around family boat, ski boat, fish boat. It's a fishing ski. Uh, they have a 17-and-a-half-foot Fish Hawk down there and a 16-and-a-half-foot Fish Hawk down there. If you're interested in a fishing boat, come up by, say hi. I'd love to meet you. You know, I in the 90s, I did the redesign of that 1750 Fish Hawk for them. You did a darn good job. Well, <laughs> it's, it's you a like good... the way I could clean that up to darn good? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Any last comments, Bernie? Bernie, if people are looking for information, how would they get a hold of you or to book a trip with your guys? You know, you can look me up on my website, fishingwithbernie.com, Facebook, Fishing with Bernie, Instagram, Fishing with Bernie. And on my website, I have so many articles about how I fish and just, you know, different things I look for. If you want to learn a little more about this, just check those out. There's so many of them. I do a weekly re- a fishing report that's on the website. Um, just kind of go through it and look at it. You might get, you might learn some things. All right, Bernie, and hopefully a lot of people will come by and say hi to you at the boat show. Thanks for joining us today, Bernie. As always, and sounds like what you got going on up there is one of the um, one of the better ice fishing bites right now that's going on in the state. Really, yeah. it is good. All right, it Bernie. is. It is honestly good. You guys have a great day and uh, um, stay out of jail. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Bernie Keefe, always a lot of fun. Before I uh, go to a break here, uh, first of all, he's just a blast to fish with. He's, he is, he's a 
you know, I have never actually fished with Bernie. I've spent time at shows with him, at events. He's always fun to be around. I'm hoping to get up this ice fishing season with him and actually experience it. But the guy is a wealth of knowledge. If you want to learn about lake trout, whether it's on the ice or open water, there's no better person to learn from. Oh, he's fantastic. And by the way, if you want to get a feel for what it's like to be with Bernie, I think there's three or four programs on my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. One, we take Bernie through the seasons. We fish open water and ice with him, and you get an idea what some of those bites are like. And then a couple others are ice fishing where we take him and I and the guys from Sun uh, Sun Power Sports go out with the ATVs and chase the chase the lake trout. And it's worth tuning in not only to learn some techniques, but see the fun we had. They're really a bunch. That's it. And, you know, the nice thing about most of the shows you did, Terry, is they're geared towards Colorado. You know, a lot, so many of them are geared towards the Colorado presentations, Colorado locations. So the people here locally, it's a great spot to tune in and get information, and the information lasts the test of time. It does. And, you know, about half the shows were filmed right in our backyard. The others were travel shows where I had to go work hard, like in Costa Rica or something, you know. But Rough job. Yeah, well, I had to do it. Hey, we'll take a time out, and we come back, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk turkey hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. In studio with me is Brad Peterson. Brad, this is a topic coming up that I think is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, this definitely is. It's getting to be that springtime of year, and one of the things that I love doing in the springtime is turkey hunting. Well, let's go right to the phones and join us from Parks and Wildlife is a Brian Possumus. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Brad. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing you know, well. We were talking. You and I talked earlier, and Brad and I were talking. You know, 20, 25 years ago, turkey hunting was an afterthought by a bunch of hardcore guys in Colorado, and now it's turned into one of the premier hunting opportunities in the state. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot of turkeys. seems like some of the populations are, are getting bigger and bigger, and we got more hunters going out there enjoying the springtime, um, even even the fall, right? We've got lots of turkey hunting opportunities even in the fall. Now we have two two types of turkeys in Colorado. We have the, the Rios and the Miriams. Which ones do you think are more um, more pot common? Um, you know, the, the Rios are, are going to be out on the, you know, the river corridors out on the eastern plains primarily. And uh, so so since they're they're located in kind of a linear corridor, you know, they're always coming back at night prior to those river corridors roosting in the trees. Um, the, their density is probably a little bit higher um, in, in those areas. You can kind of predict a little bit where they're going to be better than the Miriams. Those Miriams up in the foothills and lower montane, they, they move around quite a bit. It's a little bit harder to predict to uh, predict those buggers where they're going to be. Yeah, so, I've, I've experienced that hunting firsthand where, uh, <laughs> you know, you think you've got it all figured out, and those Merriams decide that, you know what, they're going to go roost two miles away from where you were. Yeah, 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 they're they're tough. It's pretty pretty tough to, to repeat, you know, where they're at, you know, getting into them. But, yeah, if you can find out where they're roosting at least the night before, it, it, it sometimes will help you find a place to go hunt early the next morning now we've got some deadlines and dates coming up take us through the the draws open right now take us through when you have to have that in if you're going for a draw license and then a little bit about 
what the timing is for over-the-counter and things like that. Yeah, you bet. So for the spring draw, um, like you said, the applications are open right now. The deadline for that is going to be February 4. And uh, it, it's not, you know, midnight anymore. It's 8 p.m. So uh, a few of the hunters that maybe are waiting, you know, to the last second, um, just just remember it, it closes at 8 p.m. on February 4. Um, the uh, over-the-counter licenses, they go on sale March 1. So if you if you go into the draw and you're like, oh, I didn't draw or did I, you know, you can check online February 26. So you kind of know whether or not you want to go get that over-the-counter. And for spring turkey, you can get the uh, you can get the two bearded tags. So one of them's got to go through the limited draw system. The other one's gonna um, have to be an over the counter. So yeah, March one you can get the over the counter. And uh, this year's turkey season starts April 11. It goes through the end of May. Yeah, and I would say that in the past, if you went back 15, 20 years, if you weren't in a dry area, you were pretty limited in your opportunity. But boy, that's not the case anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you look on our uh, in in our brochure, um, we've got a map of all the the game management units, the GMUs, and if you look at that map, it's showing you you know most of the state has over the counter opportunities. Now there are some of them that are out east where the the over the counter tag is only good on private property, but um, but you know there's there's still some landowners out there that that are happy to to have you get on their property and and harvest a turkey. No, you're absolutely right, and Brad's an avid turkey hunter, too, and we were talking um, earlier, Brian, Brad and I, about turkey hunting is one of those unusual things that gets in your blood. You mentioned it's a lot like elk hunting and, you know, during the rut when you're calling, and so did Brad, and Brad does a, a lot of waterfall hunting, and there's something about the calling sports of hunting that have a particular excitement to it, isn't there? Oh, it certainly is. I, I uh I tell people that there's there's just a few things when you're outdoors, uh, especially if you're into hunting. But there's there's a few things that kind of raise the hair on the back of your neck. You know, when you hear an elk bugle. You know, especially if you're hunting uh, during the rut and uh, you got a bull tag. You know, I think uh, you see those ducks when they come in and they're they're setting their wings. You know, there's just something special about that. But when you hear a turkey, you know, even a hen yelping, or especially when that tom gobbles, you know, not too far away that. There's just something special about being outdoors and being in nature when you hear, you see, you experience that stuff. Oh, that that's absolutely true. And one of the things about turkeys is they can be so sneaky, coming in silent, you know, you haven't heard anything. And, and like you say, next thing you know, 70 yards away, one of those gobblers just explodes on you. And uh, it's one of the best adrenaline rushes there is. Oh, oh, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I've been taking my son out the last few years, and he he's just turning 18 today, um, so he, he's going to be losing that youth preference opportunity. But when he and I get out there, we sure have a good time. We keep talking about those experiences out in the field, even when we go home, you know, empty-handed. You know, we still have a great time. You yeah, know, the- just seeing them crazy buggers walking through the woods, or hear, hearing them off in the distance, and playing that game of trying to pull them in, you know, with your calls or your decoys. And, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. I I, I oftentimes, you know, you, you have a little bit of boredom now and then, but, yeah, when you hear that gobble, oh, it just, just gets you excited. Well, I have two comments on what you just said. First of all, if you're in a turkey blind or you're set up against a tree, whatever you're doing, you're so much trying to become part of the environment that it's not only the turkeys but every squirrel, 
porcupine, uh, deer, elk, every other animal in the woods. You're, there's such an opportunity to see other animals up close because you're gearing up to get in the comfort zone of these animals. So if you're truly patient, what you can see in a blind sometimes is more rewarding than the hunt itself. The other thing I wanted to comment is if turkeys had good sense of smell, we'd all be out of luck because the way they see in here <laughs> right now, it's just tough enough the way they see in here. I'll let you guys both comment on that. Oh, that's absolutely true. Their, their eyesight is amazing. Um, that's the one reason that in turkey hunting, when you set up, you need to be camouflaged from head to toe. But when you do that, you know, turkey hunting is one of those activities that there oftentimes or, or occasionally are times that hunters get mistaken or accidentally shot or shot at. And one of the things I think we ought to discuss is the safety concerns and maybe a few tips for people who haven't been out in the woods in the spring so that those those type things don't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. We, uh, you know, there's there's just a few, you know, safety guidelines that I like to encourage the people, you know, when we're talking about um, turkey hunting. Um, first thing, you know, if you're a hunter, you're moving through the woods, um, make sure, you, you know, it's it's a turkey, you know, before you shoot, you have to be sure of your shot, you know, what what's there, what you're shooting at and what's behind it. But our decoys these days, they're so lifelike. There's some of them that you can pull some strings and they start to move back and forth a little bit and, uh, you know, can open up a tail fan. So you got to be sure, you know, that, that it really is a Turkey. Um, I, I encourage hunters, um, especially if they're on, on public land, don't use the gobble call. Um, that usually is going to pull in other hunters and they're going to be, you know, thinking and coming in like, Hey, there's a Tom out there, but the, uh, you know, those hen yelps is what's going to pull the Toms. And oftentimes the gobble call isn't all that effective. Um, there's a lot of people that are getting into those turkey fans. Um, you know, you can kind of, you know, hold them up and sneak behind them and kind of approach a turkey. But I just, I just encourage people, you know, if you're on public land, you, you probably, probably don't want to use those. I completely agree. They are a little more lifelike. What's that? I said, I completely agree on that one. Hey, Hey guys, we got a couple minutes left. I think, first of all, Brian, why don't you give us a rundown of the resources that Parks and Wildlife has for people that want to begin their scouting right now, maybe online or something. And then let's get a good tip for each from each one of you for the hunters headed out. You bet. Yeah, for some of the resources we have with Carl Parks and Wildlife, we, we of course, the turkey hunting brochure. Everyone's got to get that turkey hunting brochure so they can study it up. They can learn the rules, the regulations, method of take. Um, you know, look at the maps, try and figure out where they need to go. So, so everyone needs to get that hunting brochure. Um, on our website, there is a, uh, a link to the turkey hunting statistics from last year. And uh, if, if people are looking at that on our, our homepage, there's a blue bar up top that says things to do. And then there's an option for hunt, and, there's, and then there's an option for turkey. And um, so there's hunting statistics, provides last year's draw information, the number of preference points it took for each hunt code. Um, and the percent that that drew with that preference point. So you can kind of predict a little bit what this next year is going to take. It's not perfect, but it, it is your, your best tool to predict if you're going to draw a tag this year. Um, so that, that's a big, big thing that some hunters aren't even aware of. Another one that if, if hunters haven't looked at it yet, on our website, the Colorado Hunting Atlas, 
It's an online mapping program. It lists all the game management units, um, various maps from topo maps, street maps, aerial photos. Um, it provides the public land ownership, so you kind of know, you know, who, you know, if it's public land, you know, where you can go, how you get in there. There's some species data. Turkey has a few layers on there that you can look at, um, you know, along with elk and deer and other other huntable species. And uh, the other co- the cool thing about that, if you click into an area that you're thinking about hunting, it'll give you some local contact information. So if you're thinking, oh, I want to call up the office and ask some questions, uh, maybe get in touch with someone, it gives you some of that information as well. Um, another resource for people, and this is something I'm involved in, is uh, we've got a lot of clinics and seminars going on. So February 10, we've got a Turkey Hunting 101 seminar at Shields. And February 13, we've got one at our Denver office, that, that 6060 Broadway office in the Hunter Ed classroom. And um, April 4, we actually have an outdoor hands-on skills clinic at Bar Lake State Park. So all those can be, uh, you know, you can register, you can find out the time um, from our website. You go on our, that blue bar on our homepage, it says learn. When it opens up, learn to hunt. And then uh, scroll down, and there's going to be a link for clinics and seminars. And there's there's a lot more um, fishing clinics and um, hunting seminars, and we'll have a lot more posted on there coming up. All right. Well, we're really out of time, but I want to get 30 seconds from each of you. Whether you're beginning advanced, what's the best tip you give to a turkey hunter starting out in Colorado? We'll start with you, Brian. Yeah. Um, you know, my tip is just get out there and try it, right? You, you can read all you want. You can learn all you want from home and on the computer. But, but you're going to learn more by getting out there. And Brad? My biggest tip is to spend some time scouting before the season. Use binoculars. Get up early. Hear where the, the birds are gobbling. It will get you in an area with birds and increase your chance of success. All right. We need to do more turkey hunting. Brian, I may ask you to come back on soon because this is becoming popular and and the people that are in it, as you both know, are so passionate that we may want to cover it again. Thanks for joining us, Brian. You bet. All right. You bet. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You bet. I think turkey hunting, we got to go, Brad, but turkey hunting is phenomenal. Yes, it is. A great opportunity, great time of year to be out in the woods. All right. We're going to take a time out, and we're going to talk about another opportunity to be out and not to hunt, but just enjoy the wildlife by wildlife viewing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and you're listening to Terry Wickstrom as long as his voice holds out, and that's why Brad Peterson has joined me in studio. Good morning again, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Sounds like it's holding out fairly well. Doing okay. I think I took enough cold medicine. I'm okay for a while. Let's go right to the phones, though, because I hope patiently waiting is Mary McCormick from Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Mary. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. You know, I made a comment yesterday after you and I were talking a little bit to Karen, my producer and wife. I said, there's two people, actually there's three at Parks and Wildlife that whenever I talk to them and have them on the air, they're so bubbly and bright and they get me feeling better. <laughs> You're one, Michelle Siebert from Bar Lake and Angel Tobin. Oh, yeah. And Angel Tobin is the other one. Now, Angel went through some, oh, nice. some difficulties, <laughs> but you just feel the enthusiasm. And then uh, Brian was good enough to kind of help segue us into your segment because he was talking about people getting out scouting for turkey right now. And whether you hunt or not, this is a great time of the year to get out and view wildlife, isn't it? Absolutely. I know. I think people always think, you know, they want to wait for nicer weather to go out and 
and wildlife watch, but winter is such a great time because you have those animals who, you know, are typically found in higher elevations that are going to come down. Um, you have that nice white snow that is a great backdrop to, to spot different critters and things. So winter is such a great time uh, to get out and explore. And I mean, and it's a lot less crowded, which of course these days we all are looking for opportunities that don't involve too many other people out and about. So, well, yeah. um, no, you're absolutely right. And and in conjunction with that, Parks and Wildlife puts on a number of events and festivals, don't they? Absolutely. So we um, we do have something called the Colorado Birding Trail. So we really want to encourage people. It's a great um, check out the website. Uh, has all kinds of, they're basically like driving loops that you can go around. The birding is really um, what we highlight in the winter months for viewing. Again, especially not only do you have those you know, higher elevation residents that come down in elevation, but sometimes you can either even have um, birds like snowy owls that end up in Colorado because maybe there's a food shortage where they are, or there's a weather event that causes them to go farther um, south. So um, we do, though, have a number of festivals across the, the state. Uh, eagles this time of year, bald eagles, a lot of people don't think about, but we have migrants that then join our resident birds. So you know, if you go out to Bar Lake um, in early February, they have a bald eagle festival. Uh, and I think you can see over 20 bald eagles at Bar Lake, probably more than that. And I'm sure Michelle, she's a hard act to follow. I'm sure she'll, she'll be talking with you all soon about that. Well, I'll tell you, um, I'll, uh, earlier yeah. in the year, I can't remember what time of the year, but Michelle comes on two, three times a year. And she told me, and I can't remember if it was eagles or pairs of eagles, but the number was in the 20s at one time she came on. Yeah. And you think of where bald eagles were just uh, a couple decades ago that we were worried about extinction, and now they're starting to become pests. There's so many of them. Yeah, but, right. you know, yeah. but no, there's just, uh, it's incredible. And what a, what a magnificent bird. Oh, so cool. And, you know, really just out east, it's not just Bar Lake. If you go to Jackson Lake State Park or North Sterling State Park, um, there's, you know, you'll see quite a number of eagles out that way, but, but they do hold, or at least bar holds a festival in February. And then if people want to venture a little farther south, um, and down in Lamar, there's a snow goose festival in early February as well. So they're another one that come out to Colorado this time of year, which is kind of, um, a fun opportunity to check out a festival down that way as well. Well, um, and, so and birding having- is a huge thing. Having been down there in the south part of the state, uh, in the Lamar area, you also can get into the eagles that time of year as well. They they travel a lot with the waterfowl, and so as the waterfowl are migrating, you're going to see a lot of them, not just at the reservoirs, but also on the rivers. Absolutely. That's such a great tip. One of the things we really encourage folks, especially this time of year, is look for that moving water. Look for that water that doesn't freeze over, because that's going to be a great spot, particularly for bird watching this time of year. Well, a couple other things I want to touch on, too, and the fact is that it's also a great time to watch other game. You know, a lot yeah. of times you can see elk and deer in their wintering habitat and moose, and we we want everybody to enjoy them. But this time of the year, make sure you do it from a distance because you can really put strain on that big game this time of the year. Absolutely. That is such a huge – it's a huge message for us year-round. But particularly in the winter, you know, the responsible wildlife viewing, you know, recognizing that winter is such a vulnerable time for wildlife. You know, their food resources are, are difficult to find. They need to conserve energy this time of year. 
And so if people are out and about watching wildlife, please leave your pets at home or at the very least make sure they're on uh, a six-foot leash, not one of those retractable ones where they can go running around on them, um, you know, so that they can be under control. Because even just being chased by a dog could be life-or-death situation for a wild animal. So really, really encourage people, if they're out and about in the wintertime, just be just be, um, you know, cognizant of the fact that animals are really stressed at this time of year. And so we always do the rule. It's called the rule of thumb. You should be able to put your thumb over the animal, and that way you know that you're a safe distance away. So if you're not able to cover that animal with your thumb, you're probably too close. Also, if the animal changes its behavior, you're probably too close. Well, one of the ones I like to talk about, and you and I have talked about this in the past, and that's the moose in Colorado. Wintertime yeah. can be an incredible time to view moose. They also can be the most dangerous animal in Colorado. And it's not uncommon, like up at State Forest State Park, just driving around to see a moose. But you get out on, the, you get snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or hiking up there. And chances are almost better than not. But that's one animal you certainly don't want to get too close to and you definitely don't want a dog with. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're so majestic, right? It's, it's, and it's neat because they're not really afraid of people. So it's not like deer, elk, or other animals that maybe you show up and they run away. Moose are m- more likely than not to to kind of just stay put. But yeah, they're they are and they do not flee. So if they see a dog, chances are their attack mode is going to come into play. So we always say yes if you're in moose country. Better off to leave your pets at home, but definitely keeping them on that six-foot leash that you can control is, is certainly what you're going to want to do. And we're actually seeing there's a, a, you know, State Forest is kind of our state park that's known for moose. But we're seeing um, a growing population in Golden Gate Canyon State Park as well. So that is another kind of more close to home to Denver, I guess, um, for folks to, to possibly spot some moose. So. They're so they're so neat, and you know we're getting into the season where they'll be shedding antlers here too. So that's another thing that happens this um, time of year. But always follow the the proper protocols if if you're looking for um, antlers. I think there's a lot of regulations and things in place. So be careful if you're um, interested in doing that. Last comment before we let you go: Winter is also a great time to see animal tracks in the snow and identify them and and learn what animal learn to track animals, and you'll identify them more in the summer because you can find the tracks easier in the winter. Um, I believe you have some reference books that can help people learn that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that you know, obviously you go online, you, there's a lot of, of different websites and things that can help you. But one of my favorite guidebooks that I use is called the, Rock, uh, tra- the Scat and Tracks of the Rocky Mountains. And it's a really, you know, it's a very small fits in your back pocket kind of book. It has the tracks, it shows the pattern that the, the animal might make with their tracks. Um, and I, I want to say it's a falcon guides book. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure it's a falcon guides book. And it's just a really neat resource because it gives you that, you know, up-close picture of the print but then also shows kind of the gait of the animal. Um, and so that's probably my favorite uh, resource. And, of course, it has scat, too. And who doesn't like to try to identify scat while they're out there, too? You probably see scat 
uh, just as easily as you see the the track. Yeah, usually in my yard lately. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Mary, we're out of time, but thank you so much. That's a, it's such a great opportunity to get out and enjoy the outdoors in Colorado. Yes, no, and I just really quick, if folks are interested, there's some other festivals, even a Bighorn Sheep Festival in Colorado Springs happening next month as well. Go to our website, go to the things to do. You'll see Watch Wildlife and Events Festivals. Click on that, and you can see everything that's going on across the state month by month. All right. Thank you, Mary. Yes, thanks, Terry. You bet. You know, we got to get to a break here, but watchable wildlife is turning out to be a huge economic impact in Colorado, too. Oh, it is. People travel all over to see and also photograph wildlife throughout the state. And it's it's a great way to get outside and learn a lot about maybe some critters you don't normally see. We're going to take a quick time out, and then Brad's going to tell us what's going on at the boat show on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Dire Straits. Hey, you know, Kyle, with my voice the way it is today, I could be an FM DJ. Yeah, you want to you wanna sing this song a cappella? No, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> Will you do it? <laughs> All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. And I probably wouldn't sing this song if I didn't have a cold, but I'm certainly not going to try. Or maybe it'd be better. I don't know. I, yeah. I have a feeling it might be a little better with the cold. Yeah, watch it, pal. <laughs> you know, I made a huge impact on the music industry. I had four or five fans back in the 70s. I, are you sure? <laughs> well, my, my mother, my brother, my cousin. <laughs> hey, Brad, um, Colorado Boat Show is going on. Denver Boat Show. I, don't, I can't remember how they titled it. Denver that. Boat Show. Denver Boat Show is going on down at the convention center. And a good friend of ours, you're down there with a good friend of ours, the Crowleys, and... You're down there with the Lund side of things. I am. I'll be down there, you know, as soon as we get done with the show, probably make it down there about noon. Show runs till 10 o'clock tonight and then from 10 to 5 tomorrow. And I'm going to be down talking Lund fishing boats, but Crowley also carries Rangers and uh, Sylvan pontoon boats. So they are kind of the fishing boat dealer in the state. Oh, they really are, and really great people, you know. I've gotten to know them at different shows and things and through the industry over the years and just have tremendous respect for them. They're just great people. You just, you know, you just feel like you're being taken care of because you are. You definitely are. And one of the best things that I like about heading out to one of these shows is you can see a wide variety, um, walk in, get into different boats, and anything from kind of the introductory price all the way up to, you know, those Top of the line, whether it's a Lund Pro V or the new 22-foot Ranger they just came out with, with 400-horse, you know, Mercury's on them. Um, you know, the boat show is a great place, to whether you're looking to buy a boat or not, to go and dream a little bit. Uh, there's lots of and dreaming see, opportunities. And see the newest accessories. And, and all you guys are there. You're going to be there. Chad is usually there. I'm sure Dan Swanson's Dan Swanson's in. there. Uh, Jared Edwards is yeah. down there. Yeah, so there's a lot of the top pros are there from their pro staff. And you can come down and talk fishing if you want. You guys are there to talk to people. That's what you're there for. Yeah. we Yesterday we talked a lot of fishing. You know, a couple people looking at buying boats down at Pueblo. They lived in Pueblo West, hadn't done much fishing, had a ski boat. And gave them some tips on where to go on different times of the year, and they ended up picking up a 16-foot boat. You know what? The biggest mistake people make in a fishing boat, especially in Colorado, if it's their first one, 
if they're buying more than a little 12 foot or something, let's say they're buying at least a 16 foot or something, they underpower it. That is absolutely it. And if you're going to go on the marginal side of power, one of the best investments you can get is a secondary prop. If you're going to spend a lot of time going up into the mountains, just like baseballs fall carry further at this altitude, our you know our boat motors lose uh, power at the higher altitude. So you either need to have that high, higher horsepower, or a smaller pitch prop so that the motor can turn it and get that boat on plane. It's a big safety issue. If the wind comes up on a big lake like Granby, you need to have that power that you can get off there and, and have control of the boat. Yeah, and some dealers will actually put a smaller motor on a boat to get a great price, and you think you're getting a great deal. And it may be adequate, but really do your homework, no matter who you're buying it from. Now, I think the Crawley people would be very, very honest and tell you how what your performance would be because they're good people. And it may sound like the motor's a little large. If you moved here from Minnesota or Wisconsin and you're used to taking a 16-foot boat and putting a 35-horsepower motor on it, right. you, can, you, know, you've got, you can handle those, especially the smaller lakes in Minnesota, and you can get it up on plane. You can get across. You know, it's not going to be a 60-mile-an-hour boat. But it's going to be a 35-mile-an-hour boat probably. But when you get here at altitude, even in Denver, that boat— it's difficult to even get the right prop because you're underpowered. It's it's going to be a dog, and you know I would say 16 foot boats. If you're if it's a console boat, one console, you're looking at a 60 horsepower minimum on that, and you know they go up to about 90. I would stay in that. And the nice thing about the guys down at Crowley is they're going to steer you in the right direction and let you know they've been here for years. Royce has been selling boats for over 30 years. Uh, Brent just as long, and both of them are going to be out there and really be able to tell you the information you need. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so you drive a Lund. What what do you like about the Lund? You know, the fishability of a Lund boat and the layout, they're designed by fishermen for fishermen. That's one of my favorite things about fishing out of a Lund boat. Yeah, I, I love, you know, I, uh, I've been an aluminum boat guy most of my life. And one of the reasons why is because I'm too lazy to do all the wipe down and take care of the gel coat. On. <laughs> no, I, I ran I ran Ranger, which um, Crawley has back in the 70s when I was fishing bass tournaments. But then I got into walleye stuff and really switched over to an aluminum boat and stayed with an aluminum boat. And I still own an aluminum boat. I just love the fact that I can run it through the car wash. I don't have to worry about the gel coat. And if I scratch the paint, it's not rusting or doing anything. Well, you got that. And the other thing is you can pull right up on shore. If you want to go beach the boat next to the boat ramp or pull up on shore, have a picnic, whatever it is, you don't have to worry about that gravel or stuff like that rubbing against it like you would a fiberglass boat. Right. Because they, But there's a lot of things to be said about a fiberglass boat, too, because you can't obviously bend metal the way you can design a fiberglass hull. You can't, and the added weight, you know, will handle big waves sometimes better and controllability. Yeah. But I, out of the aluminum boats, I think Lund and their hull design offers one of the best controllable boats in the aluminum line. All right. We're going to take a timeout. We come back. We're going to talk to Mr. Nate Zielinski, and he's uh, he's going to tell us about a fi- ice fishing contest he's got going on at Boyd Lake, and Maybe we'll get a few tips on what else is going on ice fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.